Treat left. I love up in that particular scene. Woman. It's like 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 everybody everybody. The whole factory in Willy Wonka was meant to to test the people that were in there, their character. So this is the first thing they go in there, and it revealed a lot almost immediately, right? Like like they were showing the worst side of themselves, and crowds tend to do that to people. They really do. Now, some of you are extroverts, okay, but others had the game to show up out this morning, right? How many of those introverts are just like, okay, I can do this. Right. Right. Jesus was always in a crowd. Always in a crowd, it seemed like. And you would think that it would bring out the worst in him. But it didn't tend to. It usually brought out the best in him. That's how he is unique from us. Before we dive into chapter 21, if you've ever been that, I do want to because I think there are all things that you are, and it helps under these gets to the world. Marie, from Jesus' whistle to the law, i for this. They all were doing many people in Jesus' I do me, and the reasons according and around higher in Sidon. Because of the crowd, his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were put for him. How about you, but you? You. Right? COVID long ago, and I remember, people were kind of, do I want to shake your hand? Maybe we'll do this, or this kind of number on it. Jesus was in that situation all the time. These weren't fun crowds to be in. You think about like seeing Taylor Swift. I know you're going to hit this ass after you last here. But as he bought a six day for all crowds, could get a frozen that like thousands for Jesus. He always wanted something from him, but was not a from the Pharisees down in. So it's always by these people, and not in tune to a boat. And some, while the pool along the shore at the water's edge. Theme that Mark is trying to tell us, isn't there? I did leave out, out a few accounts of pe- people crowding Jesus, 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 Jesus for, for sake of time. time, time. But, 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 but I hope, hope you're starting, starting to get it, get it, get it, get it. I think, I think, I think, I think that's why, why Jesus spent so much time, time, time in a boat, boat, boat. I know that's where I'd, I'd like to spend my time, especially after I got out of tr- tr- trunk, trunk or treat last night. As much as I like, I like being here, here, here with you, I'd, I'd rather be there, there just, just, just being honest. <laughs> that, that, that introvert time was important, but man, the way that Jesus was able to, to conduct himself in crowded type situations and keep a level head was just absolutely unbelievable. It makes me love and appreciate him all the more. So our story picks up in Mark chapter 5, where you would have guessed. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd, surprise, gathered around him while he was... We're going to head to verse 24. There's two poo, 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 parallel stories that are happening here. He encounters a goggler that has a bite. And then and as he's walking, he encounters a woman that needs help. And at the end, he goes back. But there's dogs that run. It's amazing. She, 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 she. Freaking all those questions out to this another. Just run her out and ask for most scared words that she could have ever imagined. Who touched my clothes? 
immediately heart would have sank because she knew she was in trouble. This was a woman that was carrying disease. In Jewish culture, you don't carry diseases into places. People have been stoned for less, and now, now she's caught. This would have terrified her, so she's out of the frying pan and into the fire. Before we go any further, there's, a, there's something I want to point out that, is part, that this particular encounter is fairly taboo. Even within our culture, it's somewhat awkward subject that isn't often really discussed out in the open, is it? I remember back and my family was around the TV set in the middle of the afternoon watching a television show. Can't remember what the show was. But a commercial came on. It was a feminine product commercial. It was really awkward. And then my mom, she made it a lot more awkward. She started going crazy. I can't believe that they would play this commercial right in the middle of the afternoon. They at least had the common decency back in my day to play it at, after 10 o'clock. Blah, blah, kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. And all of us were thinking the same thing at that moment. Let's change the subject. <laughs> this is getting really weird. It's a taboo subject of today, right? And so as I was approaching this text, and I had signed up where I thought, what did I do to myself? This is an awkward topic. <laughs> so I defaced Henry or just glow with really going on. You know where I'm going this is point. So I was in the other There's the word of a couple of the old days. He instilled love in the bottle of the chaos or fucking word. Trip that her best little love. Incredible man. They were little friends, however. As we're sitting at table, we're reading Genesis. We can't read this word over and over. It's a long word. I was like, what is that? And so I said, teacher, what is circumcision? <laughs> she correctly told us what circumcision was. All three of boys, their Bibles, open. this is what we for the render lesson. <laughs> I walked out of that classroom, got away from there, and I looked and goes, dude, no more questions. <laughs> yeah. It's a awkward. The reason to bring that up is as awkward and trouble as it's today, discussed for tonight, 2020. As awkward as that is, taught to these subjects today. In a certain culture, 2,000 years ago, it's taboo and sure when amplified at least a thousand times over. It wasn't just awkward. It was dangerous to talk about these things out in public. So Jesus directly in a large crowd addressing the healing of such a condition was something pretty unique. Something merciful. Something culturally significant. Jesus was never afraid of addressing taboo subjects. Some of these subjects were meant to keep people in bondage. To keep them down. That's why Jesus came to talk about them directly. Wants us from those things. That's a profound difference from the Pharisees. Actually, every different kind of thing. He was commercial that he does these kinds of things. So as we trust the text, there's three things that I want to hold up. So the first thing here is that desperation can misrep to God's mercy and mostly not else. It's one of the big mercies he can for us to bring us to the verses. Funny current reaction when something bad happens to us to get angry with God. When you're talking to the very person that can heal the problem. But man, will desperation actually open your eyes and minds to things that you wouldn't otherwise. We empathize a comic book character pretty well on this front. If you've ever seen the story Doctor Strange, 
That's his backstory. He became the uh, master in the Marvel universe that he is by desperation. If you've ever seen the movie, you realize that this man started out as just a prominent doctor. He was a surgeon. He's one of the best in the country. If he wanted a surgery, that's the guy he went to. Until one day, everything changed in the movie. Car wreck. And if you look at his hands, you see they're kind of messed up. And the movie went so far as to show us the x-ray from his hands. Now, this is fiction, guys, but you get the idea here. His hands are done. His occupation is done. He can't hold them steady anymore. He can no longer perform surgeries. He isn't willing to accept it, though. He is desperate to get healing. And so he starts within the medical community first, you know, because that's the place of reason. That's the only place that you can actually get healed because that's science. But as he grows more and more and more desperate, he becomes more and more open to other ideas, other ways to find healing. It's a fun story. We can empathize with it because we've seen that in people's lives before. I tell you what, as a pastor, we see that all the time. Somebody gets diagnosed with an illness and it brings them to their knees and back to Jesus. And what we realize is the biggest mercy they could have ever got was in that moment. It's funny because we pray for somebody to come to Christ, yet at the same time, if they get sick with something, we pray that they don't have to suffer through it when it's the very thing that might get them to love Jesus. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Sometimes God's grace mercies is bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can find him. The second place I want to go with this, the second theme that we draw out is faith sometimes has healing power. That's what we witness here. I want to jump, jump over to Luke chapter 8, verses 46 through 48. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I feel, felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I mean, in a matter of 15 minutes, she's felt four major emotions. Desperation, healing, I'm in trouble, I touched this man and I should have, to now your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She got closure in that moment. Guys, this was a condition that couldn't be fixed by medicine. I think that I've, the reason that we know that, it was definitely faith that held that, is because if you back up just a couple verses in Luke 8, verse 43, it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. This was a supernatural healing. We know this because Luke himself was a physician. He would know. He was a doctor. Mark goes so far to say is that the doctors tried to heal her, and all they did is make her worse. So this was a supernatural healing that Jesus did. But yes, Jesus healed, healed her physical condition. But better yet, he healed her spiritual condition. Guys, there's theologies that are based off this idea that faith heals all the time, always. Can I just tell you I reject that? I don't even think that's practical. Yes, sometimes faith can heal physical conditions, but it doesn't always. I mean, look at this woman that we're talking about right now. Eventually, something got her and she passed away. 
It's true of everybody that Jesus ever healed of a physical condition. They still passed away of something. He doesn't always heal every physical condition, and it's not a matter of faith that it's dependent upon. So when people want to argue about this point, I just, I don't. I think it's a waste of time to argue because I think there's a bigger point being made here. Every one of these people Jesus healed eventually still passed away. However, the spiritual healing awakening was the eternal value in it. So I would amend my second statement to this. Faith always has saving power through grace. You want to argue over something? Argue over that right there. Oops. Every time Jesus healed someone from a physical problem, he saved them from a bigger spiritual problem. Am I out of order here, Stan? Where's that? Should be number two, faith always has saving power through grace. Anyways, faith always has saving power through grace. Now, a third point that I want to pull into this is never let the urgent overtake the important. I know that doesn't make sense right now, but remember I said that there was a parallel story happening. We started in one place, ended up in another, and then we end up at the beginning. Now I want to talk about the bookended part of this scripture right here. So we're going to jump back into Mark 5, 21, but instead of skipping ahead, we're going to stay in the text. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, now a synagogue leader would have been an important guy. He would have been a prominent person in social circles. His name was Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. And live. Not the person you would have expected to come to the feet of Jesus and get on his knees. Probably more often a Pharisee, somebody that would have hated Jesus. But it's amazing what desperation will do to a person. It'll get them back on their knees. Continuing on, so Jesus went with him. Now we're going to skip over the verse is about the woman that was healed because we already covered that. And we're going to jump to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And as I, as I read that, I could only think of this. Miracle Max, Princess Bride. <laughs> Mostly dead is slightly alive. I thought it was funny. Sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anyways, moving on. I just had to throw that in there. It's too, too funny. After he put them all out, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koum. Oh, sorry. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. 
She was 12 years old. At this time, at this, they were completely astonished, and as well they should have been. A miracle just happened right in front of their eyes. In the middle of this story that we just read right here is when Jesus encountered the woman with the bleeding problem. They wanted him to hurry up and get to this little daughter that needed to be healed. But Jesus is standing there demanding to know who had touched him. And so these disciples are like, who touched you? Jesus, everywhere we go, everybody tries to touch you. We have somewhere we really need to be. Can we get going? We need to heal this daughter. But Jesus knew there was something important at hand. He needed to take care of this woman with the bleeding problem. This woman who in culture was nothing. She had no money. She spent it all. She was diseased. Very few people might have cared about this woman, but Jesus did. Jesus cared about her. Now, he also cared about the synagogue leader. He cared about them both. That's why Paul teaches that there is no partiality with Christ. I don't know about you, that just makes me respect and love Jesus all the more because I know that as I look around this room, he loves every individual in here, regardless of your economic standings, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what diseases are in your life. He loves every single person in here. We see that here in the text. You know, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came out from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I think they said it so that Jesus could hear them. Because there was a sarcasm element here. Maybe a disappointment. You know, if you wouldn't have stopped to heal this woman, you could have got to my daughter. But that's not what happened. Jesus said, just believe. We'll get her taken care of. I love her too. And they were astonished. So what I draw from the text is right here is don't let the urgent get in way of the important. And there is a lot of application there for us, guys. It had been all too easy for Jesus to go away from the woman, just let, him, let her have touched him and moved on and let her be healed. But there was something important that needed to be done. Yeah, this little girl needed healing, but there was something important to do. So application, how does that play into our own lives? Well, for me... It played out here very recently. I became convicted by reading this. When our church went through its own crisis here recently, excuse me, I stepped in to help the children's ministry. In my mind, that was an emergency. And to be fair, it was a bit of an emergency. We needed to stabilize things. But while I was preparing this message, I had to repent because I was neglecting my own area of ministry in the process. I have a music team. I have a tech team. I went out of my way to stop what I was doing with the children's ministry to take care of these people over here and make sure I was getting this job done too. I tend to get a little bit focused on what's ahead of me and stay diligent at that task. And as I was preparing this message, it reminded me, oh, I've got other stuff I need to take care of. Something urgent was getting in the way of something very important. And I gotta tell you, if you let that happen, what you're gonna see is that you're gonna create an emergency by neglecting important things, real emergencies. So we need to be diligent with our time and our decisions, and we need to prioritize things and defend them against emergencies. Now, emergencies happen from time to time, but we can't let them take our sole focus. And sometimes they're really not that big of emergencies if we're honest about it. 
Here's another example. And guys, I don't want to use this as a shaming tactic, so don't take it that way. The way that I took this text was, I was like, you know, I needed to hear that. Thank you, Lord. Before it's too late, you allowed me to reveal something that I needed to take care of. And as I unpack a couple of these other applications, I want you to consider it that the same way. Shame doesn't do any good. You're just going to feel bad about it, and then it's going to continue on. Let the Holy Spirit convict you and change you in the moment. Here's another example of how urgent things can overtake important things. Every kid practice and event is an emergency. Just ask him. Just ask your kid. I gotta be here, I gotta be here, gotta be here, gotta be here. Why weren't you at my game? Why weren't you at my practice? I need you to drive me here. And if you fall prey to that, all of a sudden two parents become empty nesters, eventually the kids move out, and then they find that their marriage is falling apart. Why? Because they always prioritized every little emergency in their kids' lives over their own marriage. And believe me when I tell you, your kids aren't better for it because they're observing that too. And so when they get married, guess what they're going to do too? They're going to neglect their marriage. I've seen it a lot of times where all of a sudden the kids are out of the house and all of a sudden it feels like my marriage is falling apart. I don't even know who she is. We based our whole life around these kids. What do we do now? So here's the warning that Jesus is giving us here. It's okay to miss a practice to go on a date with your wife. As a matter of fact, it'll be good for them to observe that. Here's another example. A job with responsibilities isn't always an emergency. Especially if you're trying to move up that corporate ladder, you want to be there for every little detail of the job to help out to make sure it's done. But constantly working every hour for these supposed emergencies can really tax what precious time you have left with your kids and family. Your kids and your family are important. The job emergencies will always be there. So it's okay to skip one or two. Don't let the urgent get in the way of the important. I really wrestled with the last application I'm going to make here because as a pastor, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to say this, but I'm going to lean into the Holy Spirit right now and just allow him to direct me in the next few words. The church isn't as important as it once was to people. And really, I need to be preaching this to the people who are not here. Thank you for being here. <laughs> but the church isn't as important as people's lives as it used to be. Really, what's happened is it's not that less people are coming to church. It's that people are coming to church less often. It's less and less and less of a priority, less and less important. And every little emergency seems to get in the way of being able to make it to attendance on Sunday morning. And I don't know about you, but what I observe in the culture is we are not better for it. I hear a lot of time about how we're losing ground in America, and yes, it matters who we vote for at the end of the day, but coming together to be strengthened by God's word so that we can be a light in the world that's very dim, that's why we're losing ground, is when we're letting little emergency, every little emergency, prioritize over the top of church, being together about strengthening one another. So thank you. Thank you for being here, and I pray that you'll continue prioritizing this in your life and teaching others to do the same because it's valuable. And guys, one day when this is gone because people stop showing up, imagine the emergency this is going to create within our society. It's going to go downhill quick. So I want to encourage you 
Keep doing what you're doing. Prioritize these kinds of things. Prioritize your Bible time. Man, it takes 10, 15 minutes to open the Word a day, but every little emergency takes away from your Bible time. I just don't have time for that. Really? You don't have time for 10, 15 minutes to open the Word of God? No offense, but I don't buy it. I think that's what Jesus is showing right here. Prioritize important things in your life. Leave room for them. Yes, you've got to take care of emergencies from time to time. But I think we need to be a little bit better about what actually is an emergency. So guys, thank you. It's been good to be here with you. Um, this is my last of three sermons consecutively. I'm so excited to get back to being a music pastor. <laughs> but can I pray for us before we close? Father, thank you so much for this morning. I just thank you for everybody's uh, resolve to be here. Father, I just pray that uh, the words I spoke today are found in your text and I wasn't making anything up that you didn't want them to hear. But Jesus, I know you're in your goodness. You can, uh, you can overcome all things, even, even a second-rate service from this guy. God, I love you. Thank you for being a God that no matter what Jesus was dealing with as far as being inside of crowds, he still kept a level head and modeled for us well what it means to be a person that loves you in the hardest of circumstances. Jesus, I love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We've come to the time that we're going to be having communion this morning. And uh, just a couple of thoughts. <clears throat> the main passage that Ben was using this morning is, has always been, I say always, uh, and what I mean by that is a little over 40 years, it has been a special passage to me, Mark chapter 5, back, way back when, some 40 years ago, was when I was dealing with some cancer and all, and, and um, yeah, that was stage four, and there was some organs shutting down, some stuff like that going on. And, uh, you know, I, I was at a point in time where I just, I just had a need for being reminded that God is able. And deep down inside, of course, I knew that he was able, even though I hadn't been a Christian for very many years. I knew that he was able, but yet I just I needed to be reassured with that. And Mark chapter 5 ended up being that chapter. Because uh, there are three impossible situations that Jesus dealt with. There was uh, the woman who had been... Uh, unhealthy in a major way for 12 years, and and she had seen every doctor she could. She had spent every do dollar she could, and she was only worse than she was before. Yet when Jesus appeared on the scene, there was hope for her. There was uh, Jairus. His daughter was sick. She ended up dying. You talk about an impossible situation, yet there was hope for her because of Jesus entering into the picture. And then, of course, early in the chapter, there's the uh, 
um, guy that was demon-possessed with a legion of demons. You know, if that's to be understood literally, that's like 6,000 demons. Uh, yet Jesus took care of that situation as well. So that chapter has always been a special chapter to me in just a good reminder that God is able. He specializes in the impossible. And so anytime there's a message that comes from that chapter, I always sit up and take you know, take notice, maybe even pay a little more attention than what I normally do. Well, let me give you a passage of scripture that kind of serves as the equivalent of that for our time now during communion. It's only three verses long. I shared this with my small group earlier this week. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, and it says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the statement that everything that follows is going to be, you know, being built on. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think that's meant to be an exhaustive list. It just represents the fact that because of sin, we got an issue. We're not holy, and we cannot um, enter into the presence of a holy God on that basis. But then after listing all of those out, Paul says this, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here Paul is mentioning, he's just listing off as an example, I don't know how many there was, there six or seven different sin, and, and he's saying and you were part of that group. And I got to admit, I looked down over that and I got to say, guilty. I mean, I'm included in there. And even if we take it in a literal sense, but if we don't take it in a literal sense, it, it becomes even wider. But that was the point that he's trying to make here is that on, your, on the own, your own basis of how you've lived your life to this point in time, you, you do not have any rights or any grounds upon which to enter into the presence of God. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means declared innocent. Sanctified is that you, you've been reborn. There's a new birth that has taken place. You're a new person. And so we do have the hope of eternity. Even though we had kind of disqualified ourselves way back when. But now we have the hope. And it's all because of Jesus. Every week we have this time of communion to remind us of that fact, that we have a home in glory that's awaiting for us, and it's not based on your performance or my performance. 
that that is your destiny. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and what he did for me. And so during this time, we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember the body and the blood of Christ. The sacrifice that was made. Yes, God gives us salvation as a free gift. But don't make the mistake of concluding that since it's a free gift, it must be cheap. There's nothing cheap about it. God paid a very high price to give you that gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder once again to help us to keep it fresh in the forefront of our mind that we owe you everything. Thank you for loving us more than we deserve to be loved and for doing for us something so incredible that we'll never forget. We'll always celebrate it even into eternity. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think that's meant to be an exhaustive list. It just represents the fact that because of sin, we got an issue. We're not holy, and we cannot um, enter into the presence of a holy God on that basis. But then after listing all of those out, Paul says this, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here Paul is mentioning, he's just listing off as an example, I don't know how many there was there, six or seven different sin, and, and he's saying and you were part of that group. And I got to admit, I looked down over that and I got to say, guilty. I mean, I'm included in there. And even if we take it in a literal sense, but if we don't take it in a literal sense, it, it becomes even wider. But that was the point that he's trying to make here is that on, your, on the own, your own basis of how you've lived your life to this point in time, you, you do not have any rights or any grounds upon which to enter into the presence of God. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means declared innocent. Sanctified is that you, you've been reborn. There's a new birth that has taken place. You're a new person. And so we do have the hope of eternity. Even though we had kind of disqualified ourselves way back when. But now we have the hope. And it's all because of Jesus. Every week we have this time of communion to remind us of that fact, that we have a home in glory that's awaiting for us, and it's not based on your performance or my performance, that that is your destiny. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and what he did for me.
And so during this time, we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember the body and the blood of Christ. The sacrifice that was made. Yes, God gives us salvation as a free gift. But don't make the mistake of concluding that since it's a free gift, it must be cheap. There's nothing cheap about it. God paid a very high price to give you that gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder once again to help us to keep it fresh in the forefront of our mind that we owe you everything. Thank you for loving us more than we deserve to be loved and for doing for us something so incredible that we'll never forget. We'll always celebrate it even into eternity. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.